Morning. Yeah, it's good to see you too. Good morning. Well, I just make sure y'all are awake. I, I don't want to start off with you uh, dozing. Uh, look with me at uh, Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. Last week we looked at what it means to not be under law, but under grace. And this week I've entitled my message, We Are Slaves to Something. We are slaves to something. Everybody is. And what Paul is pointing toward is he wants us to see that by the, uh, the power of the cross and what Christ did on the cross and through faith in Jesus Christ, we are slaves to righteousness. Uh, and so I want us to look at this text today. I'm thrown off immediately because I have to turn the page to stay with my text. And so y'all just forgive me if I get hung up. That'll be why I get hung up some. But what does it mean for us to be not be under law but under grace? Believers are not under law in the sense that God has delivered us from the domination of sin. Law points out sin. And we have been delivered from the domination of sin by what Christ did on the cross. But we are under grace in that grace is designed to answer both sin's penalty and sin's power. It answers both. Uh, and so grace designs to forgive us or justify us and to transform us or to sanctify us. For this reason, sin will have no dominion over the believer. How do we know that's true? Paul's going to be answering that question. But just for one sentence... We can say it's true because God's promised it. Verse 14 of chapter 6, For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. It's not a command. It's a promise. God has made a promise for those who are in Christ Jesus that sin will not dominate you. And if sin does dominate you, you're not in Christ. So Paul is making this argument. He's dealing with another question. Uh, what then are we to sin because we are under, not under law but under grace? Um, and let, let me paraphrase that for you a little bit. Uh, here, here's the question. It is grace that saves, not the way we live. Once we trust Christ, it doesn't matter whether we sin or not. That's what's coming out of that question. Now, I'm going to tell you, people have thought that more times than you can imagine. Doesn't matter whether I sin. I'm saved. That's not freedom in Christ. Paul's response is, no, absolutely not. Basically what Paul is doing over these last several uh, uh, 
verses is he's letting us know it's never right to sin. And not only that, the pattern of your life as a believer should not be a pattern of sin. The course you are on is a course in righteousness, not sinfulness. You've already had that one. And now we have this pursuit of righteousness. Freedom from the law does not mean freedom from God, but freedom for God. What Paul is saying is that the work of Christ on the cross has both paid the penalty for sin and rendered sin idle in the life of the believer. And as a result, the grace of God is able to keep us from being dominated by sin. We have God's promise on that. But how does that prove out in our life? Why can sin not be the pattern of a believer's life? Paul's going to explain that here. So we see that question asked, are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? I want to have, I have two points. The first is, who do you obey? Who do you obey? Who or what do you obey? That's the question that comes out of verse 16. Secondly, I want us to see an overwhelming truth. And that is that God empowers our obedience. God empowers our obedience. So first, let's answer the question, who do you obey? Look at verse 16. Paul says, you know, you're asking this question. I'm going to answer your question with a question. And that's what he does. He answers the question with a question. He says, do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. Paul is appealing to the Romans, and he's appealing to their knowledge, the knowledge of his readers, when he refers to slavery. So, I mean, he's... Think of it this way. Paul's saying, let's discuss freedom from the law and being under grace by talking about slavery. Because you're a slave to something. You're a slave to someone. Slavery is a good analogy, he's saying. And so uh, he, he says this. He says, do you not know that if you... Present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves. It was common in the ancient world for the destitute or those who were in great debt to offer themselves to be slaves in order to obtain the necessities 
of life. That was common in this day. So Paul is bringing up an institution that exists during that day that was very common for someone to keep themselves from starving to death or to keep their family from starving. They would offer themselves up as a slave, a household servant. Uh, They would offer themselves up and they would be the property of the one that they presented themselves to. That person would be their master. Uh, So uh, they would present themselves. When you're doing that, you're offering something. You're offering obedience. If you present yourself to someone as master, you're offering to obey that master. I'm going to do whatever you say. You know, I'll, I'll do what you need me to do because I'm hungry, I'm cold, I'm naked, I need help. I'll do whatever you say. I can't help myself. And so Paul's using this, uh, this is something that is common in their day. Everyone is a slave to something. Everyone is obligated to something or someone. By the way, this is not this is kind of counter-cultural in a sense. I mean, we live in Texas, right? So uh, we've got a bootstrap philosophy. We don't need anybody. We'll figure it out. But what we see here is we see that I'm not a slave to anyone. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. We kind of have that in us, don't we? But we see here he's saying that's just not how it really is. Before the person was a slave to one he offered himself to, He was a slave to something else. You say, well, did somebody else own him? No. No, he wasn't a slave to another person. He was a slave to his poverty. He was a slave to his destitution. Poverty told him what he would and would not do. I'm hungry. Oh, you should eat. Wait, you can't eat. You don't have anything. You have no food. You have no money to buy food. So he was a slave to his poverty. I'm cold. Oh, you need shelter then. Wait. You can't have shelter. You don't have a house. You don't have any money to buy a house. Your clothing is rags, but hey, you don't have any money to buy clothing. Nobody's willing to give you anything. So that person obeyed his poverty every day. What we see here is this picture of this person offering himself up. And what he's doing is he's offering obedience. 
Don't you know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey? So this guy offers himself up, and they say, sure, come on in. And what does the, what does the slave do? Whatever the master asks him to do. The master says, hey, go clean my room. Okay, I'll go clean your room. You know, cook me a meal. Okay, I'll cook you a meal. The slave does whatever. And what does the slave receive? Food. Now, what we have in this picture is that a change in ownership means that the slave no longer obeys his former master, which was destitution. His former master said, be hungry. Well, he's not going to obey that. He's tasted food. He likes food. I'm going to eat. He's not going to continue to be hungry. He's not going to continue to be without shelter. He's not going to obey the former master of destitution. He's going to obey the new master of provision. That's the illustration that Paul is setting up. A change in ownership, whoever you present yourself to, you're not obeying the old master. You're only going to obey the new master. That slave is completely at the disposal of his master. He's not free to do as he wishes. He's not free to go up to the master and say, hey, master, I'm going to take the day off. I'm going to go see the sights over in town, you know, run into Jerusalem and run to the market and uh, get myself a few things. Uh, I'm going to go and just kind of take a, a mental health day. Master says, no, you're not. There are meals that need to be prepared. There's a garden that needs to be tended. There's a house that needs to be cleaned. No, you're going to do what I tell you to do. The slave doesn't get to tell the master what he's going to do. And so we see all of this comes out of just that one presenting themselves as obedient slaves. You're a slave to the one you obey. That's what he says. He says, do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey? Notice he's not saying that slaves are required to obey the master. He's looking at it in a different way. He's looking at it in the other direction. Uh, he's saying, the master you obey shows whose slave you are. That's where he's going with this. He sets up the illustration, and then he looks at it from the other way around. The one you obey, that's your master. 
Paul only sees two possibilities for masters. He says, either of sin, you're either a slave of sin, you obey sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, you're a slave of obedience, which leads to righteousness. He sees only two possibilities of a master. And remember, you can't serve both of them. Once you are no longer the slave of one, you are the slave of the other. You are subservient to the other. You don't go back to the other uh, other master and say, you know what, my master over here wants me to do this, but I kind of like doing this. That's not how it works. That's the picture that's being painted. And, and Paul sees, the, he, he says, uh, you're either a slave and you either obey sin that leads to death. That's the first thing. If we consistently, or if we are consistently slaves to sin, our life and our living will prove that out. Destructive behavior will be the theme of our life. Notice down in verse 20. When you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. That wasn't your way. It wasn't even a way you could live. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. (laughs) Slaves to sin, obedient to sin, it brings about death. Every aspect of life, destruction. That's what actually goes on. And so Paul's saying, no, we're not going to sin because we're not under the law, but under grace. Why would we do that? We have a new master. And it's not the master of sin. This thing that produces shame in the light of God, that sin, or the pursuit of one's life who is a slave to sin. And they see nothing wrong with it. Nothing wrong with it. I prayed to receive Jesus. I walked down the aisle. I've been baptized. It's okay if I sin. No, it's not. And so Paul's bringing this forward. But he also sees the other possibility. Look what he says. Uh, We're slaves to the one whom we obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. Slaves to obedience that leads to righteousness. This obedience leads to fruitfulness and sanctification. Look what it says. 
For one, just as once just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. A couple of things to notice about this particular section here. First, I think we would expect Paul to say, we're slaves of God. Or slaves of grace. But what does he say? Sla- or slaves of obedience or righteousness. But he says slaves to obedience. He's going to say later slaves of God uh, down in verse 22. But now that you have been set free, uh, set free from sin and have become slaves of God. But that's not his emphasis here. Slaves of obedience. What's he talking about? He's going to mention how we're slaves to righteousness later on. But here, he points out and says that we're slaves of obedience. It's a general term, but in this context, it refers to obedience to the gospel, the obedience of faith. Are we slaves to obedience of faith? In other words, he's been talking about all through the book of Romans, remember? How no one is saved by works, but they're saved by what? By grace through faith. So our obedience is obedience of faith. It's this obedience that leads to righteousness. He declares us righteous. He justifies us by what? Faith. So there's obedience to the gospel in believing on Jesus Christ. But we should also see the moral implications of verse 14, where he says in verse 14, For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. We see the moral implications of that as obedience of faith will always lead to sin, not having dominion in our lives as a believer. If we've trusted in Jesus Christ, if we have put our faith in Him who died for us, if we have believed the promise of God through Jesus Christ, this obedience of faith will lead to sin not having dominion over us. So he says, you're slaves to Sin or your slaves of obedience. And that leads to righteousness, not more sin. That's his point. It leads to righteousness, not more sin. 
one thing that he's doing here is just when he says obedience, which leads to righteousness, you kind of expect it leads to life. Because sin leads to death. And so you kind of have to expect that, okay, well, then obedience leads to life. But that's not what he points to. He points to righteousness. Obedient leads to righteousness. One thing Paul's not doing is he's not giving any thought that salvation is by works. He's not giving up that. He's not letting the Jews think that their walking according to the law will gain them anything. But he's also not taking away the fact of, uh, of the promise of verse 14 that says the one who believes, the one who is not under law but under grace, that person, sin will not dominate them. He's saying that very clearly. How can Paul be so sure of that? Of course, one is because of the promise. But two is because God empowers our obedience. He says, you're a slave to one or the other, but you cannot serve two masters. You can't serve sin and obedience at the same time. And if you are in Christ, by grace through faith, I want you to know God empowers you to obey. Look at verse 17. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. Verse 18, And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. Stop right there. Paul knows sin cannot dominate the believer because of what God has done for the believer. Look what he says. Thanks be to God. He doesn't say congratulations to the readers. No, he breaks out in praise of thanksgiving to God for what God has done. The sovereign act of God has done what we could never do. And he's saying we're going to live in obedience and sin is not going to dominate our lives because of what God has done. Because of the power of God. We could not liberate ourselves from the slavery of sin. We couldn't do it. We couldn't liberate ourselves from uh, the desires that we had. Uh, we, we could find no other avenue to fulfill those desires except that of sin until we were saved. And now those desires are fulfilled in Christ Jesus.
Paul says it in a way in Ephesians chapter 2 where he says, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. God made us alive together with Christ. Isn't that wonderful? I couldn't do it. I mean, just before this passage, he's talking about how dead we are in our trespasses and sins. Couldn't do it. But he made us alive. Something that's dead cannot shake itself to life. Right? But God makes us alive together with Christ. Thanks be to God, he says, that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. Interesting here, this phrase, have become obedient from the heart. God, having done what he did, now calls us to obey, to walk in that faith in which we have been saved. Uh, that, that phrase there is a, is a word that is in the aorist active. And what it's talking about is it's, it's, it's letting us know that, that uh, there has been this decisive act of obedience in the past when they turned their faith to God and they trusted in Him. And Paul is saying, you know, we see this, you uh, were once slaves of sin, but you've become obedient from the heart. Uh, that's that being released from one master and being turned over to another master. And now what the result of that is, is that I, as a slave to obedience or a slave to God or a slave to righteousness, I am solely committed to this one master. Obedient from the heart. This took place and this flows out from it. Not this. Righteousness, not sin. That's what he's setting up here. Obedient from the heart. This, this happened. And this righteousness is the direction of my life now. He's clearly saying that with this illustration. I only have one master. Not sin but obedience. Not sin, but totally devoted here. But thanks be to God Man, we can just thank him all the time, can't we? 
not just for the good things that he does and the good provision that he's given us in daily life, the jobs, the resources, the food, the clothing, all the things that we have, not just the possessions, but that he saved us. And he didn't leave us to ourselves when he saved us. He gave us a course to run. He gave us a path to follow. And it's obedience to him. And what does that do? It leads to righteousness. It leads to sanctification. It leads to transformation. The original question. Shall we sin because we're not under law but under grace? Is basically saying, can we serve two masters? Paul's saying no. Absolutely not. He goes on and he says that you become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. So this obedience is to something. This obedience is not, I'm just going to obey whatever I want to obey, but I have a standard here. I have something that's been taught, namely the gospel, but I have a standard here. You're obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching. And that righteousness flows from the grace of God out of the gospel, out of this standard of teaching. It teaches us righteousness. But it's interesting, this is an aorist passive where it's talking about the standard of teaching. To which you were committed. That were committed. It's this past activity, but it's this aorist passive. It indicates they had been delivered to the teaching rather than the teaching had been delivered to them. <laughs> when did you first hear the gospel? All this came to them rather than they coming to the teaching. They committed themselves to God, but they didn't find him. The teaching came to them. They didn't come to that and say, well, you know what? I think I want to believe this. No, the Lord brought them to that. They are giving themselves over and saying, we're going to follow this way. This is the way. Uh, in other words, from that teaching comes the teaching of godliness. They don't have godliness. Godliness has them. 
They don't have the teaching. The teaching has them. They see this, this word, this goodness, this gospel as something that has hold of them. And that's what Paul is saying. You've surrendered yourself to this, to this teaching that has captured you. And that's a way of saying that it's God who is working in you. How can we keep on sinning because we're not under law and under grace when it's God who is working in us by and through His grace? That's what's coming from it. God is working in us. God's not going to work in you towards sin. God's not going to work in you and say, go over here and sin. No, God's going to work in you and say, Pursue this righteousness. Walk in obedience. That's what he's going to do. Paul says it in other ways and in other places. In Philippians chapter 2, Philippians chapter 2. Verse 12, he says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Why? For it's God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. That's what Paul's pointing to. Being a slave to obedience is submitting to the work that God is doing in you. And if you have obeyed the promise of God, if you have obeyed in faith, trusting Jesus Christ, believing the promise of God, this is what God's doing in you. He is at work in you. He has his will abiding in you. He is teaching you his will through his word, through the standard of teaching, if you will. If God is in you, is God in you? I sure hope he is. He's in me. If God is in you, and he is showing you his will, and he is working in you by his spirit and by the divine nature that he has poured into you, how could the question ever be answered with, well, yes, of course, since we're not under law, we're under grace. Of course you can continue to sin. No. What he's saying is, that can never be the course of life for a believer. 
That can't be the pattern that you follow. Now, I, I want to point out a couple of things. One, I, I want us to understand we will never be perfect in this life. Because when we read this and we hear this, it kind of sounds like, well, it sounds like I need to get perfect. You're not going to be. None of you will ever be sinless until we see him face to face. Until glorification, our sanctification is not going to get us to the place where we have no sin. It's not going to happen. But what Paul is talking about is that having been justified by faith, the course and pattern of my life is to know him more fully and to yield to him constantly, to know his will and to do his will. We'll not be perfect in this life. But I think what Paul is pointing to is that we will have the compulsion in us by the power of God that sin will not sit on the throne of our life. He won't do it. Sin will not sit on the throne of our life. Secondly, I want us to apply it this way. Because God is sovereign and has done a sovereign work in our life by calling us and saving us and electing us, redeeming us, it does not mean that our choices don't matter. They do. We find in Scripture that our choices lead to death. But even in being saved, I want you to know, us choosing to obey matters. There's a battle raging on in us. You know that? Anybody else experience that in your own personal life? This battle between this draw to sin, and by the way, it isn't sin that's drawing me. It's my own desires that are drawing me. That's how James puts it. There's this battle raging within us between the deeds of the flesh, the deeds of the Spirit, the, the, the fruit of the Spirit. Josh is telling you about that. That we're to walk in a particular way and not in a way of sin. That battle going on, that's real, isn't it? Do y'all feel that? Do you sense that? Do you experience that in your daily walk, in your daily life? This battle of this draw to sin, but God rescuing us and saying, go this way. That battle is not a charade. That battle is real. And just because God is sovereign doesn't mean our choices don't matter. They do. It's a real fight. 
And he's called us to real action and real choices and real direction, consistently and constantly walking in obedience to him. We're slaves to something. You're either a slave to sin or you're a slave to obedience. And that obedience leads to righteousness. And that righteousness leads to sanctification. And that sanctification leads to glorification. And boy, am I looking forward to glorification. Because then the battle is done. The victory's already won, but the battle still rages within us. And it really comes down to this. Are you slaves to obedience? Walk in that way. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the graciousness, Lord, that you have shown us in saving us. Undeserved, unmerited in every way. But God, in redeeming us, in rescuing us, you also set out to purify us because that's what your grace does. And I pray, God, that you would help us not be resistant to the work of sanctification you're doing in each one of us. If there's sin, Lord, let us repent. And let us turn and let us walk in obedience. Father, we want to thank you that you empower that. That we're not left to our own to figure it out, but you give us your will. We're not left to our own to gut it out, but you give us your spirit. And so, Lord, let us yield to these heavenly blessings you've given us to live out here on this earth. And Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.